It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That roaring sound you can hear is a great river of water being released through a sluice from a great drainage channel that runs out of the Somerset Levels to the Severn Estuary. And it's one of the great bits of engineering that control the water around this part of the world. You've got a very flat Somerset Levels where water drains out to the sea and over the years it's all been controlled by canals and sluices and clever drainage systems but i'm not here to talk about drains well i might be a little bit i'm here in this podcast to meet author tv producer and round wonderful naturalist stephen moss who lives nearby on the levels and this looks like his sort of terrain a kind of wild spot for birding and for getting close to nature so looking forward to talking to him and finding out he's got a new book out he's a prolific writer a wonderful writer and um, well we're just going to have a little wander in the cool of late November day so welcome to the podcast I'm Fergus I'm your host I hope you enjoy our little adventure along what looks like the England coast path so I'm just going to wait for Stephen here but yeah, Stephen, lovely to see you. Lovely to see Way you, folks. It's been far too long. Oh, yeah. Yes, and we're, we're getting old enough to, to want to see each other more often. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm less frantic as I uh, as I used to be perhaps six weeks ago. So. Yes, I'm trying to be less frantic because, yeah. as I think you know, I had a, a minor health scare last year, which turned out to be more minor than it sounds. Um, and I promised my wife and myself I would do less. And I took on more things because, like you, I really enjoy what I do. And if you enjoy your work, the problem is, as the man, the doctor in the hospital said, just because something is enjoyable doesn't mean it's not stressful. Right. Yes, Which true. Which I thought was true. a useful true. lesson to learn. Well, but yeah, there is a period where it does get tip over just the other side of more stressful than enjoying. Exactly. That's, that's well, welcome. This is a nice, nice place to de-stress. Uh, where are we in the world? We are what I call my, my coastal patch. It's my local patch yeah. now. It is, I call it the Three Rivers, because although we're going to walk along the what they call the Huntsbill Sea Wall, it's not really the sea at all. It's the River Huntsbill, which we're watching at the moment, pouring down into the River Parrot. And then as we walk along, we will see the River Brew. And this is a, a sort of semi-coastal patch on the edge of Bridgewater Bay, where I've been watching now for seven or eight years and seen an awful lot of very good birds. So hopefully we'll see some You're today. You're a very keen birder. You've got this wonderful scope here. Yes, I've got my, my Swarovski other scopes are available telescope. <laughs> yeah. um, I brought it so we could have a quick scan. It's, it's, the tide is dropping. It was low tide about an hour ago. Um, you can never tell here it has the second highest tidal range of anywhere in the world after the bay of fundy in canada so we're sort of the seven estuary is that yes same sort it's of the edge of the seven estuary the bristol channel bridgewater bay whatever you like to call it. it it's 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 that sort of liminal land it's that on the edge it's what um i paraphrase philip larkin and say it's where sky and somerset and water and mud meet <laughs> there's a lot of mud 
There's a lot of mud today, yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's some birds, oh, there's some waders, some golden plover and some lapwing up there in the distance. Um, we're looking over towards Steert. We're looking over towards Hinkley Point. Um, so that's Steert on the other side? Yeah, that's right. Steert Point. Steert comes from the old Anglo-Saxon word, as in red start, meaning point, mm. meaning tail. Sorry, we yeah. didn't tell, but it's Steert Point. And it's where the Wildfowl and Wetlands Trust Reserve is. Um, and I do often find myself here gazing across as we will and seeing loads of birds on the other side that are just a bit too far away to always tell what they are. Well, uh, How long have you been birding? I mean, within the sort of decades? Um, I'm afraid, well, famously, a man called H.G. Alexander many years ago wrote a book called 70 Years of Bird Watching, and I can do that in 10 years' time. Okay. So do the maths. Do the I've math, been bird watching really. since I was three years old. I'm in my early 60s now, and I have never known not being a bird watcher as we used to call them or birder it, it's 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 central to everything in my life and it always has been and you mentioned combining these things you enjoy as your work you've written a lot of a lot of books a lot of great books um, a lot of well-received books and we're here sort of to talk about your late your latest but or your latest couple but um it, it, that's that Firstly, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit envious because that's combining sort of going out here is almost research for you. Yes, yeah. Someone said once, why don't you go and work at the BBC Naturalist Unit and why don't you write books on birds? And I said, well, I don't want to turn my hobby into my job. It's good yeah, to have a hobby. It's dangerous. Yeah. In fact, it wasn't dangerous at all. It was the best thing I ever did because you're right. I am always, I suppose, thinking a little bit about writing, but that's fine because that's what I enjoy doing. So I'm one of those very, very lucky people who turned my hobby into actually several jobs over the years, um, all of which have been, you know, extraordinarily challenging, but also rewarding. You mentioned Natural, Natural History Unit, and that's when I first met you when I worked on BBC Wildlife magazine. And so you were responsible for was it Springwatch was one of your yes yeah I was I know the you first did lots of others, I things. was the first series producer of Springwatch I was the second of Big Cat Diary um, as my colleague Tim Schoons once said we didn't no one really invented Springwatch it sort of happened and he's quite right I get a lot of credit for it but so many of us deserve the credit because it was a collective thing it sort of evolved the thing I effectively invented which I'm really proud of is birding with Bill Oddie, which led of course to Springwatch really because. Bill was known in the birding world as a really top guy. You know, he really knew his stuff. He wasn't, you know, it wasn't some celebrity who was vaguely interested in birds. It's more the other way around with him. I think it's the birds and the celebrity comes to sort of that's the same right. place. I that's think. right. And he turned his, uh, you know, fame as a comedian into a completely different form of presenting. He is the only, I've worked with everyone. I've worked with them all and they're all brilliant. I love Packham and David Attenborough and, Kate Humble and all those wonderful people but Bill I think is the one true genius I work with because he just made stuff up if he was here now and we were filming him he'd be muttering and he'd be sort of gazing through his binoculars and finding something and then saying oh I can't quite see what that is and you know it was very organic the way he and I made the programs and it worked brilliantly um Fantastic. Well, he was the first uh, with Kate, was it? The first he and Kate and Simon King were the first Spring. presenters, the sort of A team of Springwatch, yeah. Um, and even before that, we did a series called Wild in Your Garden. I um, remember, gosh, yes. We, in Bristol, which is 20 years ago now. I can't believe it. I mean, Bill's series is, is close to 30 years birding with Bill Oddie. And I, I now get young, well, not so young people, people in their 30s and 40s saying to me that turned me on to conservation that turned me on to birding you know I owe my life's passion to you which is so lovely you know it's one of the nicest things anyone can ever say so yeah, yeah. yeah. more of that but <laughs> sort of by accident yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Bill and I thought let's do this series and let's make it real let's keep it real we recorded all the sound on location like here you know we didn't we didn't have scripts you at all go back to the studio and create this no 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 no, no that's, none that's of really it I mean uh, you know it, it was all done very organically sorry I've got 
No, no, you, what you, I call slightly rudely bird Tourette's. No, that's fine. There I, are uh, three you, ravens up in the air I over there. Just see them, you just just see them my, yeah. yeah with, with um, you see them through the binoculars. Raven, you know, extraordinary bird. The, the other thing, four ravens. Is the other thing that's come to me now is that after 60 years of birding, I notice things like this because even when I moved to Somerset less than 20 years ago, there were virtually no ravens here. Yeah. There might have been some up in the Mendips. You absolutely wouldn't have seen them here. You wouldn't have had them over my garden calling. And they are one of the world's most extraordinary birds. I featured them in 10 Birds That Changed the World. They're the first chapter. Um, and yet they're a bird that when I was a young birder, I, I would have to have gone to Dartmoor or Wales or Scotland to see. And now we've got four of them messing about up here. They're I probably they, young. I can see them, yeah. I, I mean, I, I haven't brought my binoculars. They're in the car, but I'm le I've left them there because they bang away at the Yeah. <laughs> well, I can lend but, you mine if we see yeah, something really good. Uh, that's, that, but that's, are they, is this just play or is it some sort of very early courtship? I think this might be play. You're right, it could be. The fact there's four of them. I, I checked this with someone once and they said they're probably sort of teenagers. They're right. probably ones from last year who aren't breeding yet. They might be pairing up. Um, a flock of starlings. Maybe. Yeah, they might be pairing up. Two of them have now gone off together. They're, very, you know. they're sort of flying... The two of them are flying a very close formation together. And That's the right, sort yeah. Of buzzing by them. That um, suggests courtship, doesn't yeah, it? But how interesting. Because they, they nest quite early, don't they? They really? nest very early. And, of course, you know, even now with this relatively mild weather... I've had song thrush singing in the garden this morning and on my bike ride this morning I heard a song thrush singing, you know, which is very early. The ravens will start, the rooks are already returning to the rookeries. Really? Yeah, so, yeah. And is that normal for this time of year or is it a little early? It's sort of normal. Rooks will come back and they will mess around and tidy up the nests a bit. But in recent years they seem to have been earlier and earlier because, you know, we're having these extraordinarily mild winters. I, you talked about the time that you've been birding and that you've seen change, things like ravens. Because we, uh, there's so much stuff that's difficult as well, mm. and you've written about it, and I've published umpteen articles on declines. What are the, what are the positive stories of ravens, obviously? As I drove up here this morning, I saw about half a dozen egrets in a field down the road. It's just a very ordinary field by the lane here and they were cattle egrets the other day I saw 120 cattle egrets on one of the moors there were six someone posted on twitter it's the the, the number of the beast 666 cattle egrets coming into roost which they weren't here 15 years ago uh, they weren't here they came in 2009 so yeah right. 14 years ago they then bred here they bred just down the road here and they then disappeared because we had two really hard winters and farmers weren't putting the cattle out in the fields, so the cattle egrets understandably sort of went back to France. And then they came back again in the, about 2014. Again, a few bred, and now there are literally hundreds of them. It's a bird I still haven't seen in Britain. So well, we'll see we'll, them on the way we'll out, see them I promise on the way you. Out. Um, and a new bird for me. New bird for the podcast. Yeah, and great white egrets, of course, yeah. you know, which again, you know, 20 years ago were, I think, the nearest to Britain were in eastern Austria. Uh, really? Gosh. Yeah, I mean, they were a real vagrant here. Because they're just like a, a huge white heron, basically. Yes. Is that the sort of, for, for the people who don't know what a great yeah, white Yeah, a great white egret, yes, very, a very white, elegant heron. It's got a longer neck than a heron. It's slightly taller. Um, and of course we've got the cranes that were brought back here but are now breeding naturally and on the levels really well. breeding on the levels on the south side of the levels they breed around West Sedgemoor right. in go down pretty good numbers those, yeah. yeah they're wonderful birds you know obviously Europe's tallest bird really elegant stunning bird and we take people out bird watching a friend of mine runs Somerset bird watching holidays and he and I or he and my colleague someone also you know Brett Westwood oh, we yes. take groups out and of course the birds they want to see now are great white and cattle egrets, which we can virtually, well we can guarantee, marsh harrier, which we can guarantee, bittern, which we can't guarantee, but you sometimes see them, and cranes. Now none of these birds were here, except little egret, none of those birds were here, apart from the old marsh harrier, when I moved here in 2006. That's extraordinary. That's yeah. extraordinary how fast that's happened. So that's great. And it, uh, the problem is there's two issues with it. One is that it lulls people, and generally in southern Britain, are a bit lulled into a false sense of security. We've got all these exciting new birds, so it must be fine. And the other, of course, point to make out is someone said the other day, these egrets are, well, they call them climate refugees. 
and that is one way of looking at it in that it's so hot around the Mediterranean they sort of head north but also you could argue that they're sort of they are the few beneficiaries of climate change yes. and in southern Britain where most of us live this is what we see whereas in northern Britain you're losing things like ptarmigan potentially the seabirds like puffins you know we, we don't we're not necessarily as aware of that here another flock of birds going over lapwings that's, that's a bird see that's a bird that's declined hugely since I was a child I used to see vast flocks of lapwings and that's that's not a tragedy because those super common birds yes so we've moved up well we've moved along the sea defences here uh, and now we're out this is the river parrot then, is yeah it? this is the river parrot it's about half full now it's just you know the tide is gradually rising and we can hear curlew there's red shank out there just hear a few sounds it's quite a good time of year this it's you know towards the end of November, the start of winter. We're starting getting big numbers of waders here now. We get uh, over a thousand avocet winter here, and there'll be some on the far side. Curlew, uh, Dunlin, Golden Prover, and Lapwing, which we've seen already, a few in the distance. So it's, it's you know, but it's always interesting. I, that's what I love about birding, but particularly on a local patch, you always get something new and different and surprising. You also miss stuff. I got a phone call, a text. Is that really frustrating? Oh, someone very. Else, well, your, your patch and someone else yeah. comes down and finds something. There's a young <laughs> lad here and he, he texted me the other day very kindly to say, you won't believe it, there's a great shearwater, which is a bird from the South Atlantic. Really? A great shearwater, a beautiful bird. bird. Yeah, off, literally off Burnham, off the Brew Estuary. And I said, I'm on the train to London. You know, I mean, it was kind of him to at least let me know. If you were if you were home, though, would you have dashed oh, out? Oh, I would have dashed out yeah. and I would have seen it, yeah. And there oh, was a leech's petrel here, which I have seen before, a little tiny seabird. Yeah. And I've seen others here. Isn't it? Yeah, but not much bigger than a house mask. <laughs> so I've seen that here before. We've had some very good birds here. We've had redback shrike, which is a uh, male, which I actually found here. It's the best bird oh, I've found Oh, that's pretty here. exciting. That was very exciting. It looked like a linnet on steroids. Yeah. Uh, um, they're the ones that um, shrikes have a sort of predatory angle to them in a sort of. That's right. Though we don't think of them as birds of prey, but they are. They 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 impale things like lizards and frogs and beetles on on um, thorns. They're known as the butcher bird. Ironically, very rare bird in Britain. I was, uh, but you know, we've ruined farming here. We've we've ruined the land. We are the most nature depleted country in Europe. Um, so depressing. For a, for a country of professed nature lovers, and, yeah, and they love your documentaries. People and Attenborough is sort of national treasure. But yeah, what's why why haven't we taken any lessons? I don't know because the irony is, you know, when I was born, I think I think the RSBB had twenty thousand members and it's now got one point two million. That's so you're sick, right, yeah. you know, this passion is very genuine. And I used to, you know, birding used to be a bit of a joke if you were, and you'd sort of pretend you weren't a birder a bit. And I knew I had one friend who's still a very close friend of mine, my daughter's godfather Daniel. And and Daniel sat next to me at school on the first day when we were eleven and we're still really close friends. And we birded together. Without him I would have given up. I didn't meet another birder to become a friend until I was in my 30s and now a lonely, lonely I know pursuit then yeah the and I know hundreds of birds and I know so many young people who do it I know older people you know it's 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 such a, a you know popular pastime now more than a pastime passion and yet we've seen our wildlife our bird life globally and in Britain decline um, and that's something that as I get older I do two things I write more history books I'm more interested in the past and I'm interested in what lessons we learn from the past about the future and also I write more I suppose what you call more environmental writing although I try to not make it all doom and gloom yeah. but yeah if I was talking to a, uh, an old boy I know very well um, who's birded in Somerset all his life uh, the other day and he was saying this area used to be so good for birds you'd get you had really good feeding areas on this grass. About this sort of grassland yeah it's grassland which really gets covered by the tide in some cases in the bit we're looking at now it gets covered by the tide most days yeah other bits further up it has to be a very high tide to cover it but it means that you know you you have got a constant 
change here. There's but lapwings coming. Yeah, up. lapwings, yeah. big flock of lapwings, sort of dark against Lovely. the sky. They just there. flicker, don't they? Yeah, They're just such a. So that's good sign. You know, yeah. we've got them here still. But one of the problems is, you know, the, the farmer here grazes loads of sheep on here, and it's it's just ruining it. You know, yeah. and and just too many sheep. Well, there's They're too many sheep taking down. As we know, you know you. There are too many sheep in yeah. Britain. We can't blame the farmers. The farmers have taken advantage of this ridiculous situation where they don't get paid enough for what they produce, and so we subsidise them as taxpayers. And this is utterly insane. They should be paid a proper amount for what they produce so they can make a decent, honest living, instead of which they work really hard, get very little money, and we have to top it up. So they're basically on benefits effectively and we don't do that with any other profession we don't subsidize nurses and bus drivers and doctors and teachers in the same way and we've ended up with this ridiculous situation where we produce mostly poor quality food in areas that are poor for wildlife and the wildlife doesn't benefit no, we've we've allowed vested interests notably the supermarkets the farming the big farming lob- lobby um you know the the water companies to ride roughshod over what really matters and it's very short-sighted um you what you were saying about um, subsidies it's it's the pressure for people want cheap food and they yeah. don't realize they're paying for it Yes. twice through their taxes yeah. well my late aunt who, who died this year bless her Sally she used to say to me that chicken when she was growing up chicken was a treat you had at Easter Yeah, I remember my uncle her husband bringing some smoked salmon to us in the 70s which he got I think at Billingsgate you know and it was an extraordinary luxury whereas now all these things are re- so cheap yes. the people m- m- producing them don't make decent money out of them and it ruins the environment and we we've just got to escape that but with that um, skylark flying over yeah, yeah you can hear that it's just a little sort of trace of their what they might sing later in the year that's they, right oh, they early, do early january will they uh, start? February, february normally it's normally sort of valentine's day oh, really? okay that's you a get good them one singing here they winter down here of course sort of skylarks are a, a sort of short distance migrants so they'll come away from the fields even where I live five miles inland you won't get them there at all in the winter and they tend to come back there in March but they'll sing here in February and some of them do breed here and what are they coming here for food yes there's there's some food out in these yeah there's food out here there's you get a lot of skylarks meadow pipits linnets flocks of linnets but again I was told the other day there used to be hundreds of linnets here perhaps you might get a hundred now in a winter flock you know, and this is the other problem. It's what they call the, the shifting baseline syndrome. That we see a flock of fifty linnets and think, "Wow, that's linnets. a lot of linnets," yeah, yeah. you know, or ten sparrows. But even I remember, literally, flocks of thousands of sparrows. Oh, St James's um, Park. Do you remember in yeah. London? Once the, upon a time, you could not get through the park without being sort of coated in sparrows. That's right. And the little man there, and I've got a picture of me, aged eight. <laughs> from the late 1960s holding out my hand and sparrows on my hand that my mum took and I remember going to film with Bill Oddie there's a bit curly of curly singing yeah, yeah. I remember going with Bill to film in Regent's Park in 1999 and we said to the chap there who was a really keen birder Tony and I said to him oh we want to film the heronry he said yeah great yeah uh, and I said and, and do you still have an old man who does the thing with the sparrows he said not only do we not have the old man we don't have any sparrows anymore. They just went. And they just went. And I was yeah. like, what do you mean? That's insane. How can yeah. they have gone? You know. Yeah. But they have. You they know. never really got to the bottom of that. But it's insect life. It's It's, it's insect pollution. life. I, th- I think it's mainly because sparrows are so sedentary yeah. that they feed their young on insects and they can't get them. I also think it's the thing with sparrows. They're very communal. Yeah. They're a very um, sociable bird. And when their numbers drop below a certain amount I think they lose the will to breed I think they just you never get one, spe- one pair of sparrows yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah well you never so get that I wanted to write my next biography I've done these well we should come on to your, your yeah I've done six bird biographies now yeah. and I, I thought I'd do the sparrow next owl is the latest one which really should be owls a biography yeah. but we kept it as the owl people are fascinated by owls they are there's a sort of 
It's the it's the forward facing eyes. It's the yeah. they're, they're honorary mammals or even they are, but they're also deeply mysterious. And I, I start the book by saying, you know, whenever you see an owl, it's a it's an exciting moment. I've I can tell you the owls I've seen here. I've actually seen four of the five classic species of owl here over the years. The one I haven't seen here and has been seen here is barn owl. Really? Bizarrely, which is the one you think you get in this big open countryside. Um, but I've, I've heard Tawny and Little Owl at the churchyard just inland from here that we can see lovely old medieval church. Um, and I've had short-eared owl here two or three times flying over, but the best one was on a very hot summer's day a few years ago. Um, I was actually looking for butterflies just down where we came in looking for brown argus and small copper and things on the grassy area which isn't sprayed and a long-eared owl flew out oh it took goodness. me about two minutes to work out what it was because of course it had folded its ear tufts down but it wasn't like any other owls no it's very orangey quite small it was mobbed by the swallows and it flew around a couple of times and it's the only, still the only long-eared owl i've seen in somerset so what can we expect from the book then? It's, it's as a, a species by species? It is, yeah. I, I, well, I start with an introduction to owls. I start with the, this whole concept of what is an owl and why are they different? And they are very, very interesting. Of course, there are many other nocturnal birds in terms of groups like nightjars, um, but also individual birds like night heron, you know. Um, but they are obviously a, the, probably the, the generally the most nocturnal, with a few exceptions, like little and short-eared owls. So I did a chapter on each owl. I combined short-eared and long-eared, partly because they're so different, even though they've got the same name and they look similar. They're actually very different behaviour. And then I have two further chapters, because like, there are seven owls in there, and people say, well, yes, how do you do seven? Yeah. So I did Snowy Owl. The only snowy owl I ever saw was on Fetler back in the early 80s. Fetler is... In Shetland, Shetland beautiful yeah. island on Shetland, where they had bred in the 60s and 70s, and then the... the I think the male died and they carried on. The females stayed for a while. And then the final of those chapters of those owls is the eagle owl, uh, which is a very controversial bird in Britain because it's almost certainly birds that have been released. They're captivity, they're breeding, and, you know, they are... They're an interesting bird, and they could potentially end up being... A bird, oh, there's another lorry going oh, there. Lorry. Um, very peaceful place, this area. Yeah, they could end up potentially um, becoming an established British bird. And then I do a chapter on owls of the world because I've been very lucky to travel with my work and I've seen a lot of very exciting owls. Um, so you've seen a lot of, I mean, you've seen quite a few of the world. There's, what, 10,000 bird species in the world, 9,000 bird species? Yeah, no, about 10,800 now. Right. It keeps increasing. When I was a child, it was 8,600. And, of course, yeah. it doesn't mean they've been created. It means they've been what scientists call split. I they've see. decided that... Subspecies are actually real species. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and that that is almost certainly the case, and there are probably yeah. a lot more. Um, I've seen just over 3,000 now. That's pretty good um, I'd love to get to 5,000 before I sort of throw in the towel, but I don't know if I will. I, I'm going to try to get at least to 4,000. I don't... Well, a lot of birders I know have lists, like a garden list, a county list, a life list. Yeah. Do you have a, count, you have a county list? My friend Graham says I have a list of lists. <laughs> I have a world list. I have a British list, which I'm not that bothered about. My, I'm more interested in my Somerset list, which is very close to 250 now. Which Gosh, That's pretty good going for a... It's not yeah. bad. If I'd really made the effort, there's a lot of birds still quite common birds I've not seen in Somerset I mean some of them are quite rare like puffins uh, yeah. you know not seen very often um, ravens and curlies really vocal today there we go just pursuing uh, each uh, other uh. <laughs> one of them was coming past me very close a couple of years ago and I looked up and as it came past I went uh, and it turned its head didn't beat bat an eyelid as it were it turned its head and just went uh, uh, and carried on and when I wrote about ravens for the other book I brought out this year 10 birds that changed the world the first chapter is about ravens and mythology and it's mythology right the way up to Game of Thrones because you know a bit of a spoiler for those who haven't watched Game of Thrones everyone dies except the ravens yeah and the ravens are messengers and they see the past the present and the future so that's they're still being used in mythology and they are the most intelligent bird they are extraordinary 
and I just love them. I mean, Swift, when I grew up in London for 45 years, Swift was my favourite bird. I moved to Somerset and gradually Swallow took over and I ended up writing one of the bird biographies about Swallow. And they are beautiful and I love them. But Raven is getting very close now because they are just so fascinating. And that's because uh, because also the stories written about them, the way that they, culturally, we have a connect. We've, yes. Well, same with owls, though. I think owls, are, there's a lot of poetry, there's a lot of writing. I mean, they, they infuse a lot of literature. Yes, and people always say to me, oh, why don't you do a book about, you know, the next one? Why don't you do X? And they'll say something like Blackbird or Bluetooth. And I say, well, lovely, nice birds, but n- virtually no culture with them. Whereas Skylark, of course, does thought about that nightingale does but sam lee has written a really good book about it um yes you know so that uh, for me the biographies are all about and 10 birds is as well they're all about the relationship through time and place of us with either a group of birds or particular species and the lessons we learn from that and something that came up when I was doing the biographies, there's another curly coming yeah, Just a lovely, um, just lovely sounds coming across. Yeah, all the great black back gull there. That's a great huge, black back gull yeah, here. Huge, great thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, Big as a buzzard? Bigger than a buzzard. Probably yeah. about the same size, yeah. Now, when I, when I wrote the Robin book, it was only about halfway through writing it, because you always learn, you learn a lot when you write a book, but I also, you realise why you've written it. And I realised that everything that we think of as a cultural aspect of the robin like connection with christmas the fact they look cute is to do with their behavior so the fact that a robin swells up puffs up its feathers in cold weather and used to come to people's back doors for food because it feeds on the ground so it couldn't get food that's why they're associated with christmas yeah that and the fact that early postman Postman wore wore red red uniforms yeah yes that's a great story i did yes that's right yeah (laughs) um and then with the wren it's to do with its elusivity if that's a word elusiveness you know i used to say to people it's britain's commonest bird can't be i've never seen one really yeah yeah. it's by a long way yeah Yeah. swallow um it's to do with its traveling and its freedom if you like and its lack of borders the swan is a weird one because the swan you talked about david attenborough being a national treasure you know like judy dench or the queen well i sort of think the swan is sort of like that people don't really think of it as a bird um, but people are in myths, people are always trapped as swans and things like that in the, I think, yes. Swan Lake and all these sort of... Oh, yes. Uh, Lots yeah. of mythology with swans. Meadows flying over, yeah. Seep, seep. So, yeah, you know, uh, it's been fascinating for me learning so much doing the research for these books. Um, although I must credit Lucy McRobert, my friend who's a birder and a historian, for doing the research... Um, I basically employed her to do the research for 10 birds that changed the world because I knew she'd do such a good job, yeah. which she did. Flock of widgeon now coming widgeon. over. They've come all the way from Siberia. We're looking out into the Bristol Channel towards Steepholm and Cardiff in the background. You can probably yeah, just about see, see Cardiff. Yes, that's incredible. the city yeah. there. Uh, Breen Down, we've got still got Hinkley off Breen Down left. is this lump. Yeah, it's a sort of lump north of... Um, south of Western Supermare basically and we can see Burnham on Sea with the shortest pier in Britain uh, this, and this Brent is, Knoll. Burnham here. Yeah, yeah, a little, little seaside town, yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, Peregrine. Is that this bird flying yeah. left to right it's, here? It's losing a lot of its feathers in its right wing. I think it might be a young bird. Is it going over the birders now? Yeah, yeah I see, I there's see been a, a young Peregrine here and a Merlin. Well, I thought we might see peregrine. Um, well, that's a goodie. I've seen a peregrine for a while. Triangular I've, wings, yeah. yeah. I see them a lot in Bristol, obviously. Yes, well, they nest there. now in Taunton and Bath and Bristol and all these cities. I mean, again, a bird that's so rare when I was growing up. You couldn't, you know, you could never see them, really. Why do birds matter? You know, fundamentally, I mean, birds matter because they are the most visual, visible obvious sign of nature they symbolize with their flight they symbolize freedom and lack of boundaries and lack of borders um you know i'm reminded it sounds trivial but it's not the terrible situation in israel and palestine now last time i was there 10 years ago i was in a bird race which was won by a team of combined palestinian and israeli birders 
That's how many birds you can see in a day. Yeah, and they, these people, you know, work together. Conservationists there work together from the two groups. Yeah. And it's, you know, because they, as they say, birds don't recognise borders. Birds migrate through Israel. They don't care who owns it, who controls it. Um, and I think, you know, I've spent my lifetime not just watching birds, but I suppose thinking about them, writing about them, making television programmes about them, showing other people birds. Um, and they've become this... I mean, they're not... It's hard to describe it. I have a lot of other things in my life, but birds are always there. You know, you don't... Someone said, you don't go birding. You that they're just there. You go for a walk or you go out or you in the middle of a city and a peregrine flies over or whatever. You can't escape them. What's this bird flying low over there? Oh, we've got a uh, red shank, yeah. Red shank. Classic wader. It's been calling here as well. That's Literally about cool. two feet, a foot above the mud flat. Yeah, yeah. above the waves, yeah. It's flicking, in, flicking its wings. That's so right. I mean, it's lovely here. And you never know, you know, you never know what you're going to see here. Sometimes you come in, you see nothing, but yeah. other days you see a lot. The Coley's. I, I, I think people should come to places like this if you ever sort of wonder what it's all about. This is a very. I know we've had the lorries, but actually it's a very peaceful place. And any birds. day that starts with the sightings of ravens calling over your head and lapwings and golden plover and a peregrine, and we haven't really been birding because we've been well, chatting. We've hardly looked through the scope. Yeah, actually, but yeah. Uh, it's been but yeah, which is nice actually because it means that you're taking in the whole feel of the place. So just as I'm about to head off, Stephen's stopped in a lay-by ahead of me and there's a whole load of horses in the field but there's also how many? Seven cattle egrets did you say? I think there's seven cattle egrets and one little egret. Yeah, really so quite close to us. Really close. I've never seen cattle egrets in Britain so this is a new one. One's just flying off. He's obviously heard me bellowing. Well, this is a bird you see in Attenborough series, isn't it? Um, yeah. Perched on the backs of uh, game animals in Africa, and now they're here. Oh, there we go. There's a little egret and a cattle egret side by side, and you can see one. The cattle egret has a yellow bill, and the little egret has a sort of black, dark grey, gunmetal grey bill. And the little egret, paradoxically, is very slightly bigger <laughs> than the cattle egret. That's true. Yes. Yes, yeah, but we now have hundreds of these in Somerset, which just so they're very avid. These are very avidly foraging in the grass for just little what sort of worms and beetles and all sorts of little invertebrates, presumably. Yeah, well, these are you know, these are horse secrets, aren't they? These ones, <laughs> yes. you've got ponies and horses in the field, <laughs> yeah. but they're they usually see them with cattle. If you see a flock of egrets, they're not always, but they're generally cattle egrets. Yeah. Little egrets are a bit more. Solitary. The little egret's bill is thi more sort of stiletto-like, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Thinner. So. What a treat. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Well, that was a brilliant way to end. Finding a new species for me. The cattle egret, which I'd never seen in Britain. And that's just, I mean, I'm not hugely, I don't go massively out of my way to see new species, but it's always a joy to see a completely new wild creature. So I'm not I'm not a huge sort of I won't go twitching, which is sort of dashing across the countryside to see to see birds. Well, someone I would go dashing across the countryside <laughs> though is is Jack. Jack is here. Jack produces the podcast. Jack, first thing I should say is Happy New Year. Happy New Year. This is our first podcast of of the of the of the 2024. Yeah. I, I don't even I've lost track of the dates. It's that well we've had that weird Christmas Christmas <laughs> period now. Yeah. And I'm all out of whack. Oh, good, good. That's a good way to get, you need to get all out of whack at Christmas. I recorded that episode with Stephen just before Christmas. So we're sort of, we've jumped over Christmas and now we're in the new year. Huge thanks to Stephen for taking me around his local coastal patch. It was, it's just a really beautiful, really beautiful part of the world and kind of beautiful in the sense of evocative, empty and open, big skies and 
strange and wild and not totally tamed mm. by people. It's but, interesting uh, that you said November because I think there's still probably, I had the same one a uh, couple of years ago before I knew what I knew now. You don't think you can really go bird watching that late in the year. You you always associate it with spring and mm, summer. Bird song, yeah. But the marshes um, and the and the, and the yeah, estuaries. And, it's, they're still all around. But it, well, it, that's where most bird watchers go to birders i should say that's the correct term for people yeah, who, birder. Go, who go birding it's birders <laughs> uh, bird watching is a sort of almost become a sort of term used by people who don't know <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a weird weird one oh uh, yeah so it, it's it's all it's all the kind of coastal areas it's the marshlands woodlands and moorlands and places where you would normally find lots and lots of birds are uh, yeah it's just harder to find things and and so it's all the excitement is we get all these wildfowl and waders, and that's what Stephen's really excited on his River Parrot and the River yeah. Brew and the Huntsbill. Do you get all these incredible birds that perhaps don't even breed in Britain, but they just turn up here because we've got mm. lots and lots of food in the mudflats there? So, kind of exciting and kind of interesting to go to these these slightly more desolate places, and um, and, and also I was fortunate to be with someone who, because I'm not a bad. Not bad at identifying birds, but Stephen is like several grades above me and, and can just sort of go, oh, that dot in the distance is a lapwing or that dot in the, is a golden plover. And for me, I need to look for, for a long time to see the differences. So Hawkeyes. Hawkeyes, yes, yeah. true. Yeah, Hawkeyes. Well, it helps to have a massive <laughs> scope, which um, <laughs> also, uh, which I don't possess. Uh, do, do you like, I mean, I know we've done a little bit of birding together, but do you, would you go off by yourself with a pair of binoculars and... Do you know what? It's, I've never purposely gone out. Obviously, there's been a time where I've gone out with you and when we went trying to find the bittern, there's a few bits there where we just stop and watch. But uh, I think I've been to places where, where I've gone hiking or I've gone walking or I've gone up a mountain, anything like that. You always stop when you see a bird. There, there's always like the one like just soaring up above or, I don't know, you'll be by the beach one day and you, you'll see them on the um, thermals when it's yeah. been a particularly hot day. And you always then just stop and watch and go, oh, wow, what, what is that? So I think I don't purposely go out for it, but I'm just thinking about it now. I know any time. There's been so many times where I have stopped and watched it and gone, oh, look at that. What's that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you'll go, I wish I'd focus with me. And I'll go, I wish I had Stephen with yeah. me. So we have <laughs> a, um, yeah, I think the whole thing is that birds are just so easily, they're, they're, they're the easiest sort of, gateway drug to wildlife because they're so visible and so mobile and yeah. we get them in our garden all the time we get some of the prettiest birds come into our gardens i mean you you talked from previous podcasts about feeding the birds in your garden yeah. getting a whole range of species um with your very 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 fancy bird feeder it looks like a picnic table <laughs> i mean i would update on that the umbrella did blow off the other day. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been very windy <laughs> i went out the other morning and just went i just sort of stopped in my tracks and i went it's gone. <laughs> so I'm still on yeah. the hunt for the little red umbrella. Yeah, somewhere in the next county. Uh, maybe down near the, near, well, hopefully not down near, down, I down think I think it's caught in one of my hedges, the other side of the garden, so it's not gone too far. Um, yeah, I, it, well, it, it's exci- it is exciting time of year, but it's it's not, for me, I can't wait for the bird song to return. So when mm. you go to an estuary, you will have picked up in that recording some lovely curly songs, some red shanks. And some sort of distant whistles of wildfowl, like um, widgeon and things like that, and the and the ravens cronking overhead was great. Yeah. But you don't get the marvelously tuneful, melodic small birds of woodlands and hedgerows singing yeah. away. Which, gosh, I miss it. And then when it comes back, it literally. Well, we're early January now, so three weeks time. Even there'll be maybe sooner. There'll be there'll be birds singing early in the morning, yeah. missile thrushes and the odd great tip. And before long, we'll be in March and there'll be a whole dawn chorus. And uh, and then, it will, then we'll be, be in <laughs> spring and I'll be again. rushing around like a crazy thing. <laughs> um, so we'll, 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 maybe we'll do some, bir- we will do a lot of birding adventures. We yeah. are still telling our tales from the landscape till about the end of February. But after that, I think we'll go full on into a whole season 18 of, of nature. Yeah. Come with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got it. I'm still trying to expand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we'll get lots of recordings and hopefully um, we'll have Hannah with us who Hannah normally joins us as our triumvirate but is not with us today due to being at home with a technical hitch she can't <laughs> she can't join us uh, remotely so well happy new year to her too 
One thing we really love talking about collecting sounds and hearing these sounds is we love it when listeners, you guys out there, send us your recordings of nature. And we really love it. It's so, it makes such a difference. It makes, it's just nice to hear what it's like and what you've heard. Everybody hears different things. Everyone can pick up. It doesn't have to be birdsong. It can be just the sort of sound of rushing water or something weird, the sort of mm. wind in the grass. Jack, really, you really like squelching foot. I do like a mud. good squelch. squelch. Yeah. So, you know, if we had a minute of squelchy footsteps, I think that would be, that would give us great joy. And for the best ones we, we hear, we've got a lovely podcast library of nature books here. And we will send one out to, to whoever we think's best that week. Well, we, you know, we, we'd like some more. We, we're on the good list. So we, we've been stocked up over Christmas uh, by Mr. Claus. So uh, uh, okay. there's plenty of books to go out. Uh, that's true. That's true. Yes, we do get lots of the, the podcast library is, is, has swelled <laughs> <laughs> with the gifts of, of Christmas. But you can send these to editor at countryfile.com and you can find all the details in the program notes. And on this subject of people sending in recordings, I've, got a, I've just got one in, actually. This just a couple of hours earlier today, got this one in from Anna Levy or Levy Jurek. Jurek. I hope I've got that right, Anna. Hello, Fergus and team, she says. I hope this finds you all in the holiday spirit. Well, I reckon so. Um, yes, I think we I think we are. Yeah, and holding yeah, on yeah. to it till as long as we can. Um, she says, I wanted to share this recording of lovely sandhill cranes that I captured flying over my home recently. Now, Anna, you haven't said where you live, but I think you're in North America. That's where Sandhill Cranes, I believe, are native or resident. She says, when I hear them, I always have to stop what I'm doing and try to spot them in the sky. They usually fly very high, so it's great fun to see them. Uh, thank you for another wonderful year of adventures from the countryside. Wishing you and everyone a happy holiday season. Thank you. A winter warmth, she says. Yes, that's kind of appropriate because it's chilly here at the moment. But thank you, Anna. Well, let's hear. Let's hear it because you've sent in this lovely, lovely audio. That's interesting because it's like there's mm. there's garden birds in the foreground, don't you? But in the background, there's this eerie kind of honking or yeah. trumpeting. It's, it sounds a bit sort of goosey. Goosey, yeah, yeah. So these cranes just flying over in large numbers, making this weird call. That's cool. Thank you, Anna. Um, really appreciate that. We'll be in touch to get hold of your address and we'll select, we'll see if we can find something suitable, craney <laughs> or, or, or sort of marshy, wintry yeah. that we can send you that I, I hope you'll enjoy. I, I have been close to some cranes before in my life. Have you? Yeah. I, I don't know why I've just remembered this. Constru- I've a Constru- flashback. Construction site in Bristol, was not, it? Not the construction no. cranes, no. Proper cra- actual cranes. Uh, okay. Nearby, we've got uh, Wetland Centre, uh, Stinbridge. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I was very young. I can't even think how many years ago this was. But at one point, they had cranes trying to raise a batch, I think. Oh, okay, because they were going to release them. Into yeah. Ah, uh, yes. And I'm, I think I went with my brother, and maybe it was my cran as well. And uh, we had the chance to, to go in. You had to sort of dress up a bit like a crane because you had to sort of, <laughs> I think the thing awesome. was you had to trick them as you were yeah. cranes. And uh, yeah, you got to go in and help feed them, I think it was. Oh, uh, that's it because they, they get imprinted on humans if you don't look like, yeah, you yeah. like a crane. That's cool because that must be the reintroduction program where they were breeding cranes, common cranes that are now, well, you can see them on the Somerset levels, not far from where Stephen and I, in fact, he mentions the cranes yeah. in the podcast. I think it's West Sedgemoor RSPB Reserve. Yeah. Get a chance to go down there. Awesome. Really, really cool. Oh, well, okay. I'll probably recognize them. Let's go and find some cranes this year. Any other, I mean, that's one of my New Year's resolutions is to eagles, um, sea eagles, not just sea eagles, but to... Eagles over the sea or to see the eagles? observe eagles um, in the wild in Britain somewhere would be great. Lots of birds I'd like to record their songs. Cranes would be good. Mm. Um, Yeah, there's a whole lot of nature that I really want to... I want to see see swallowtail butterflies this year. I know the audio is not going to be amazing, Jack, but... I'd like to see Britain's biggest, pretty much rarest, certainly the most difficult to... Well, it, there's a few, there's like two or three places that they exist in Norfolk. How big are we talking? Can we hear the wings go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a sort of, you have to kind of hold on to things. <laughs> the, the, the sheer power of the wind yeah. from their wings is... Well, they say, you know, a butterfly flies its... A butterfly flaps its wings and it causes a hurricane on the other side of the world. Yeah. It's bigger than that. 
Okay, dangerous. So we could go and do that. Anything you? Because we we did talk about this with the others in the Chris with with Kevin and Annabelle in the yeah. Christmas special, but we didn't. You weren't there, Jack. We missed. I wasn't there. Um, I think it'd be interesting for us to get a bit coastal. Mm, more coast. I've, sort of a bit rock poorly. Because mm. I know obviously we we've done fish and under the water. Done a lot of fishing, yeah. And we've done a lot of land mm. and birds. But maybe there's something in the rock pools we're missing out on that we haven't We certainly need to do some coast. We need to just it's it's just so windy. <laughs> it is windy, yeah. <laughs> oh brilliant. Well that's something we'll definitely look into. I'm just trying to think of sightings and happenings. I had lots of kingfishers the other day on the river. You'll be pleased to know. It's not pleasing. Well, <laughs> at least we did see them this year. Uh, in we saw the two, yeah. I've seen the two. Finally, Jack has seen kingfishers. So um, lots of exciting adventures ahead. Um, lots of other people involved. We've got Maria, we've got Hannah, we've got Kevin, we've got Annabelle. We've got a whole gr- huge number of nature-loving friends. We've got lots of great guests coming up. Mm. Rumours even we might get Chris Packham this year. So, we will see. But I'd just like to say, and I'm sure Jack would join me, a huge thank you for for everyone out there for listening and for liking us and for adding your feedback to whichever podcast provider. It makes such a difference to us. It just Mm -hmm. gets us promoted to other people who won't have heard of us, keep bumping into people who've never heard it, and then they become lifelong, well, hopefully lifelong (laughs) fans. They certainly become fans. Just, I guess, share it with people. If there's someone you know... Yeah. If you go birding with someone, you go walking with someone, just drop them a link. Because a lot of people, it's quite hard to get out into the countryside sometimes. And we found that a lot of people really appreciate coming with us on our adventures. So the more the merrier. And, yeah. tell, and send us ideas. Again, contact the team, Jack, Hannah and me on editor at countryfile.com. But for now, I reckon that's it, Jack, for yeah. this, this week. I mean, I think we could highlight that. It's, remember again, it's nearly five years. Five, it is nearly five years. In fact, four more weeks. Four, four more weeks, weeks to our fifth birthday. Fifth birthday. We've got to do something for that. Yeah. Well, we better start getting the candles. I mean, if anyone out there, if you listen and have any ideas of what we could do for yeah, celebrate five years, let us know and we'll, we'll try and get it done. Yeah. Editor at countryfile.com or you can contact us on any of our Countryfile magazine channels Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, X, whatever it's called. <laughs> And uh, you can contact me. I'm my personal Twitter is Twitter X is <laughs> at Lorange Views. But for now, I think it's a huge thank you. Join us next week. But for now, it's goodbye.